0: Father, we thank you that we have that day to look forward to, that day when Jesus comes through the sky and we all see him. And and Father, like John, I, I pray every day, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for that day to happen. Father, thank you that while we're here, we can worship you and praise you and, and just get warmed up for heaven. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would receive our praise and worship as a uh, sacrifice to you, and I pray, Lord, that that your Holy Spirit would speak right now. And may we have ears to hear what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Good morning. My name is Rick, and it's a privilege to be with you all this morning. Um, If you don't know me, uh, my mom and dad attended Bethel for many years. Joe and Carol Beachy, they're both with the Lord right now. I have a sister, my favorite oldest sister who attends here. Uh, I call her Cheryl. Everybody else knows her as Sherry, Sherry and Keith Troyer. And so um, if that's a connection for you if you didn't know. And uh, I've lived here in Sarasota since I've been uh, 13 years old. And so it's a privilege, as I said, to, to be with you today. I, I titled the message, You Weren't Chosen to Warm the Bench. I was a, a sophomore at Riverview High School. I went from Sarasota Christian having like 25 people in my class to Riverview having 900, I think it was, in my sophomore class. I didn't know anything about Riverview at all, or I just, you know, I went to school there. And I can still remember they announced tomorrow, if you want to try out for the basketball team, meet at the football field after school. And I thought, that's kind of strange. I'm trying out for basketball, and I want to meet at the football field. But anyways, I went. Uh, that was back before people took backpacks to school. I had all my books. I got my tennis shoes, my jeans, and a shirt on. We get down to the football field, and there was one other guy in jeans and with his books, just like me. His name was Ray. I can still remember him. Everybody else was in shorts and shirts and, t-shirt, you know, tennis shoes. And, and here, uh, what we didn't know is that we were starting conditioning that day. And he said, uh, the coach got out and said, okay, we're not illegally allowed to start practice yet. Coaches aren't allowed to be involved, um, but it was actually Keith Fosbenner and Phil Helmuth were in charge, if you know Phil. And he said, you guys are going to be conditioning every day after school for one month. And practice starts from one, one month from today. He said, we can't require you to be here during the conditioning time, but if you expect to make the basketball team, you'll be here. So I remember that day. I had my jeans on and my shirt. I put my books down, and we started running up and down the bleachers, and I was sweating like crazy. I had to call my mom on a payphone. Uh, for you younger people, that was a place you put a nickel or a quarter, and you picked up the phone, and I think you actually went like this, you know. And I said, "I'm not going to make the bus. You need to pick me up." The next day, I came with shorts and a shirt on, and for one month, I went out every day and I practiced. And I mean, I wore, I got conditioned. And I was in shape when basketball practice started. It wasn't very long before I realized where I was in the order of the basketball team. 60 guys were going out for 27 positions. And I made the JV. I was one of 15 to make the JV. And again, as soon as it was posted that I made the JV, I put that quarter in the payphone, called my mom and said I made the team. We played 22 games that year. And I say we in quotes. I played in three games that year. Um, and I forgot to ask you, Ryan, did you get that? Oh, you didn't work? Oh, okay. Um, I played in three games. And I actually remember how much time I played in each game. The first game I played in the, minute and six, the last minute and 16 seconds of the game. That was embarrassing, I thought. "Are we? Am I that bad that I can only go in at the last minute and 16 when we're up by 20 points? Well, I thought that was bad. It got worse. The second game I played in for 40 seconds. The third game I played in for 20 seconds. I played a total of two minutes and 16 seconds the whole year. Yet I was at every practice. Yet I did a month of conditioning. I can still remember I dribbled the ball three times. I got past the ball twice. The first time I went and passed it right away. The second time I went, and just passed it. I was just, you know, (laughs) I wasn't in the game enough, you know. At practice, when the offense was practicing, I played defense. When the defense was practicing, I played offense. I didn't make much of a contribution to the team. And to make matters worse, the day they took pictures for the basketball team, I wasn't there. And the yearbook didn't even say, not pictured, Rick Beachy. So actually, I have no proof that I was even on the team. Except you could ask somebody like Keith Fosbenner, who I see once in a while around town. He goes, yeah, I remember you sat the bench the whole time. You know, yeah, that was me, you know. Well, the reason I share that story is because God didn't choose us to be his children, to sit on the bench. I was telling Ryan that that when I read through the Scripture on a daily basis, I often get to a passage and I think, wow, this would preach. This would be something I'd like to share. And this happened to me not too long ago. I was reading through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. And I came to this very beginning and I was like, wow, there is some stuff there that I'd like to talk about. And I think The next week, Ryan called me or texted me and asked if I would be able to to preach here. And so this is the first time I've shared this message. And uh, I did have a video clip that I wanted to show you. It didn't didn't work out, but I'll describe the video clip. If you're about my age, uh, you know, I was born in 1962, which means next month I will turn 60. I can't believe I'm that old. Um, And some of you think, I can't believe you're that young. You look really old. Um, I grew up watching a TV show called Happy Days. Anybody remember Happy Days? And when I was preparing for this message, I don't know how my mind works, but I remembered uh, one of the TV or one of the um, episodes of Happy Days. And the guy's name was Ralph Mouth. And Ralph was on the basketball team. But Ralph was like Rick Beachy. He never played. He was on the basketball team in his sweats, or his uh, warm-up. And in the basket, in the clip I wanted to show you, there was a foul, and it was the fifth foul. A guy was going to get kicked out of the game, and, and the announcer said, boy, they don't have anybody left on the bench. Oh, they have Ralph. And the coach went over and said, hey, you. And Ralph was talking to some girls behind him. And he says, hey, you. And he goes, yes, yes, coach. My name is Ralph Mouth he goes, get in the game. And he goes, Oh coach, you're not going to, you're not going to regret this. And he unzips his warm up to take it off. And he's got his street clothes underneath it. And he says, coach, I never play. So I never dress out. Well, God didn't intend you to be, it would have been a much better if you had seen it. (laughs) I, yeah, there, that makes me feel better. (laughs) It would have been much better if you'd have seen it. Um, God didn't intend us to sit on the bench. God chose us to be involved. God chose us to be active in the church and out of the church. In the passage we see there, Paul starts off and he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church, and I put in parentheses in, in my notes, church members. Paul did not write this to the leaders of the church. Paul didn't write this to the elders. Paul didn't write this to the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, and the apostles. Paul wrote this to every person that was sitting in every church in Thessalonica. And Paul is saying that to us today too, I believe, still, through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you notice, there's some little points in your in your bulletin. And, and it starts with point number four, and I think you'll understand it as we go along. Paul, in verse 3, Paul says it like this. He says, we continually remember before our God and Father your faith, per, or your work produced by faith. And the first point there is, faith produces work. Faith produces work. You know, did you ever feel like what you do doesn't make, doesn't make a difference? Did you ever feel like what you do really has no meaning in the long run? Well, I want you to know that as a pastor, I felt that way many times. Because as a pastor, it takes faith to believe that what I do makes a difference. I've done weddings only to have the people get divorced. I've helped people follow Jesus who later seem to drift away. I've preached messages that people have forgotten. I've counseled people who've ignored what I said. I had a couple in my office one night. They wanted to talk about their their marriage. And I asked him a question. Do you want to save your marriage? And he went... Phew. And she responded in the same way. It wasn't very long after that they were divorced. It takes faith to realize that there is a result at the end. Because right in the middle of what we're doing sometimes, it it doesn't seem like anything's happening. You know, some of you are parents of little children. It takes faith to believe they'll grow up and actually behave. It takes faith to believe that they'll grow up and, and follow Jesus. Because all around us, this world is crazy. Paul says that your faith will produce work. And again, he didn't write that to the leaders. He wrote that to everybody. God expects you to have faith that produces work in your life and in the life of those around you. God didn't save you to reserve a seat for you in heaven. God saved you to put you on the team, to get you in the game, to see you do things that produce results for him. Your faith produces work. And then he goes on to say, in that same verse, he says, your labor prompted by love. So love prompts labor. And you think, well, labor and work, they're kind of the same, but uh, they're a little bit different. I want to ask you a question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? For me, it comes down to two things. I do what I do because I love Jesus and I do what I do because I love people. If you have any other reason, it won't last. If you do what you do to be seen by others, it won't last. If you do what you do to be recognized by others, it won't last. When I lived in Albuquerque, I lived in Albuquerque for two years and was a youth pastor back in the early 80s. And uh, the young guys I worked with, there was a a minor league team in town. It was called the Uh, Albuquerque Dukes and they were with the Los Angeles Dodgers organization and and we used to go to the games because they were so cheap to go to and we just loved going to the games. And one night I was at the game and they announced over the speaker, if anyone is interested, between the third and fourth inning at the concession stand, Bob Feller will be signing autographs. And I looked at the guys beside me and I said, did you hear that? Bob Feller is here signing autographs. And they were like, who's Bob Feller? I wanted to slap them all. I said, who is Bob Feller? He is like the greatest right-handed pitcher of all time. Cleveland Indian, Hall of Famer, three no-hitters. He was the first guy that threw the ball 100 miles an hour. You've got to be kidding, Bob Feller. But I realized they had no idea who Bob Feller was. And how many people have lived their life for that? I went down and met him. He was the nicest guy ever. I told him, oh, I said, I can't believe this. I'm a lifelong Indians fan. And he said, I'm so sorry for you. Uh, Which reminds me, somebody texted me yesterday who shall remain nameless and asked me if I was going to mention Ohio State today. And I said, I only mention Ohio State when I talk about champions. Um, And so, James, I just wanted to get that in for you, okay? Um, If you do... What you do for any reason besides love, it's not going to last. Why am I faithful to my wife, Connie? In February, we celebrated our 36th anniversary. I had to think for a second. I didn't want to say the wrong wrong year, you know. 36 years I've been faithful to my wife. And she's been faithful to me. Why? I'll tell you the number one reason why because I love Jesus. The number one reason isn't because I love her, which I do. The number one reason is because I love Jesus. And I want to be faithful. The second reason is because I love my four children. And now I love my four granddaughters. I do what I do out of love. Paul says, when you love, it produces labor. When you love, you do something. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't just sit up there and say, I love you guys. He did something. And then because he loves us and we love him, he expects us to do something as well. Paul says, your faith produces work, but your love produces labor. If you love Jesus, you got to do something. You can't say I love Jesus and don't do and not do anything. If you love Jesus, you've got to do something. And that's what Paul said. Then he goes on in that same verse verse 3 and he says, "Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ." So not only does faith produce work, love prompts labor, but hope inspires endurance. On December 3rd of this year, it'll be 46 years since I gave my heart to Jesus. I can't believe I'm saying that. 46 years. It was at Robert's Arena or Robarts Arena, however you want to call it, on Fruitville Road. A guy was in town by the name of Fort Philpott and they had a youth event on Friday night. I went forward, I was 14 years old and I gave my heart to Jesus. In May of this year, I, I think it was May. It's been 36 years. Uh, no, it's been 37 years, I guess, uh, since I was licensed as a pastor at Palm Grove Church, at Palm Grove Mennonite Church. I can't believe it's been that long. I want to let you know: in those years, there have been plenty of times I wanted to quit. There have been plenty of times I I said out loud, you can ask my wife, I quit. I quit. I'm over this. But you know what kept me going on? That four-letter word, hope. Hope produces or inspires endurance. Hope keeps me going. And hope is not like when you buy a lottery ticket and say, I hope I win. No, the the Bible, when it talks about hope, it's confident expectation. Expectation. I've got a confident expectation that this world isn't it. I've got a confident expectation that something so much better is waiting for me. And I've got a confident expectation that this world is preparing me for that place. And so as long as I'm here, I'm going to endure. You know, um, like I said, I'm going to be 60 next month. In the morning when I get up, I take vitamin D. Uh, I take vitamin E for my skin. Um, I take relief factor. Anybody ever hear relief factor? My wife is so sick of those commercials. You know, I I thought, I'm going to try it. I did. And for me, it works. You know, I mean, I I, might not work for you, but it does for me. I take that stuff because you know what? I don't feel like I did when I was 20. I tell people I don't have to do drugs because if I want to get high, all I got to do is bend over and stand up really quick. And I'm like, okay, woo, man, I see the stars, you know? <laughs> um, the hope I have in Jesus Christ keeps me going. A couple of months ago, there was a 5K out at Gator Camp. And, and I, I'll have to, let me, let me put my Bible down. I, I ran the 5K. Um, I went out with two other guys. I drove. And I went out with uh, Marlon Strader, if you know Marlon, and Laban Schmidt. And um, they're both younger than I am, better looking and all that good stuff, you know? I decided, I don't care what happens, I am going to beat Marlon and I'm going to beat Laban. And there's something flying around here. A wasp. Oh, it's a wasp. Okay. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Okay. Um, I was determined I was going to beat Marlon and I was going to beat Laban. And there were times they went through the woods. I mean, I was just dead. And I walked for a little bit. Then I, I started my little run again. And then I walked. And then I, I want to let you know that I beat Marlon and I beat Laban. I was so proud. Of course, Marlon ran the 15K and Laban ran the 10K. But there was no way I was going to let them beat me because I only ran the 5K. And I got back, and sure enough, I beat them both. You know, they ran two and three times more than me, but it didn't matter. I was—I I kept telling myself, I'm almost 60, and they're not. And so what kept me going for through that 5K was I don't want them to beat me. I do not want to hear the whole way back to Sarasota from Arcadia, I beat you in the 15K, and you only ran five. What keeps you going every day? You know, we sang that song, and it said, you know, that... I don't remember exact words, but Jesus is going to pierce the sky. And our our face, our, our eyes will be transfixed on him. I can't wait till that happens. And that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me going. The hope that I have in Jesus Christ, and I hope that's what keeps you going as well. And then in the midst of this, if you look in your notes, we're at point number one. We went four, three, two, and now we're at point number one. And that's in, in verse 4 and 5 where Paul says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And I think that the crux or the foundation of this message is built on that right there. We are loved, we're chosen, and we're empowered. I want you to think about that for a moment. You are loved. Isn't that amazing? God loves you. And if that wasn't good enough, God chose you. He chose you. You weren't an afterthought. God chose you. And if the fact that you are loved and chosen isn't enough, he also empowered you with the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, the very God of this universe, lives inside of us. And because I am loved, chosen, and empowered, the Bible says I can have deep conviction. And I believe that deep conviction encompasses two things. First of all, it's our beliefs, I know what I believe. Now, I'm not saying I'm right on everything, but I know what I believe. And the things that are important, I believe. Last weekend, we were in Ohio for a family reunion. And on Saturday night, I got to share with our family members. and, and, And our family is a wide variety of family on the beachy side. You know, I've got cousins that have no interest in walking with the Lord, and I've got cousins that are almost Amish. And so I was sharing with these people that night. And I just I just basically shared on the fact that Jesus died, He rose again, and He's coming back. What are we, whether we believe it or not. And that's what matters. And on those things, we can have deep conviction, but there's also another thing that the deep conviction means, that I believe it means that we can have security in our salvation. We can have a deep conviction that we are loved, chosen, empowered, and we're going to heaven. You know, I struggled for a lot of years with, Doubts in my salvation. Every time I messed up, I'd think, okay, I'm not really saved. You know, God, I used to, and I I still struggle with this. I'm not saying I'm over this. I still struggle with this. I still think when I mess up once in a while that God is looking down from heaven going, what am I going to do with that idiot? But somebody helped me one time, and they told me, you know what? God chose you, and he knew everything you were ever going to do. He knew everything you'd already done, but he already... (laughs) Wow. If you weren't awake, you are now. Was that a light bulb? Okay. God is emphasizing the point I'm about to make right now. Okay? Thank you. Not only did Jesus forgive all my sin in the past, He knew all my undone sin in the future. And he still said, yes, I choose you because I love you and I'm going to empower you. That is awesome. You know, it's remember middle school? Some of you are still in middle school, maybe. Remember middle school, you wrote a note and you gave it to your friend to give to a girl, to give to another girl that you kind of liked. And you were always wondering, does she like me or doesn't she? You know, Uh, know, do do you still like me or not? You know, you were just like, Come on. That's not the way we live with Jesus. We are chosen because we're loved and we're empowered. And because of that, it gives me faith to produce work. It's the Holy Spirit producing the work, I understand. But it gives me love that prompts lo- uh, labor and it gives me hope that it go that uh, that leads to endurance. So those three things are the basis for the first three things that we talked about. And they're also the basis for the next three that we're going to talk about. Paul goes on to say to the people, you're loved, you're chosen, and you're empowered. And because of that, you become imitators and models. You know, we imitate what we aspire to be. And When I was a little kid in a, in, growing up in Hartville, Ohio, until uh, till I was 13 when we moved here, I wanted to be like Dave Duncan. Except I wanted to be the catcher for the Indians that hit the home run in the bottom of the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series that won the game. And in my backyard, I did that many times. I stood there and I, and I went around the base. Ooh! Or I wanted to be Bobby Bingo Smith hitting that shot as time ran out for the Cleveland Cavaliers to win the NBA championship. Or I wanted to be Otis Taylor Catching the pass from Len Dawson to win the Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs. Anybody identify with that if you're a guy, you know? You wanted to be like those guys? Yeah, yeah. But as I got a little bit older, I began to imitate other people. Um, My dad had a gas station in in, in Ohio. And I remember when my dad started, "Let, uh, let me put gas in the cars of the people that came. I was so excited. Then one day, I got to the station, and he had a uniform for me. And the pant legs were all rolled up because <laughs> they didn't have my size. And it had my name on it. And the other side, it said Joe Zamico. And um, uh, that wasn't important. Just let it go. And, and I remember my dad bought me a keychain that I still have. My dad had a keychain on his belt buckle. And uh, when he would get to his gas station... Can't put it on my belt. There you go. He would, he would do this. And he'd open the door. And then he you know his keys would always hang there. And I just thought that was so cool. And my dad bought one that says Mac Tools on it. And I remember he gave that to me and he put a bunch of keys on that he didn't know what they were for. <laughs> and we'd get to the gas station and he'd open the door. And the door would close. I'd wait outside and I'd go... And I'd open the door, too, and I'd walk inside. My dad always had a rag in his pocket. They were kind of a reddish color. I couldn't find a rag like that, so I brought one of my wife's dish towels. Okay, I hope you don't mind. And it was always in his back pocket. He was a mechanic. And he'd get grease on his hands, and he'd get the rag out, and he'd wipe his hands. I think I purposely went around and got grease on my hands just so I could wipe them off, you know. I swept the floors, and I aggravated the guys that worked there. But I, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be a grease monkey like my dad. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened, I became a dad. And I remember sitting at a red light in El Paso, Texas. Back before kids had to be in car seats until they were 12 years old or something. I don't know how. Um, And my son Caleb was in the front of my truck right beside me. We pulled up to a red light and we were the second car in line. And Caleb's sitting down there and he's looking up and he can see the red light. And he sees that the light turns green. And nobody moves ahead of us. And Caleb says, Come on, lady, the light's green. (laughs) And I looked at him and I thought, Where did he hear that from? (sighs) Now, why did he say lady? He couldn't see who was driving. Only thing I can figure out is even at that young age, he had an innate knowledge that men are better drivers than women. I mean, guys, can you identify with me? How many of you have had a heart attack because your wife's sitting in the passenger seat and she goes, ah! and slaps you, you know? Okay, you know, I've been there, done that. Um, I realized that I used to imitate, but now I became a model. And Paul says, you're imitators and models. And what we do is, I mean, as I was going through this, it was just like, it hit me in a new way. We imitate Jesus. So we can model him to others. So they can get to know Jesus. So they can imitate Jesus and model him to others. So those others can get to know Jesus and imitate him so they can model him to others. Do you get what I'm saying? Paul said to the people in Thessalonica, you're imitators of Jesus. And you're models to everyone. He said, your faith is known everywhere. I mean, people were talking about him. The average person in the congregation, and I say average, that's not a good word to say. Just everybody is the same in the church. And Paul says, you're imitators and you're models. Why is that? Because you are loved, you're chosen, and you're empowered. And then he goes on to say that, You've spread the gospel everywhere you went. You've become faithful evangelists, point number three again. They became faithful evangelists, why? Because they were loved, chosen, and empowered. You share Jesus wherever you go. Think about it in the Bible, Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip just minded his business in Samaria. And the Lord says, go down to the desert road. And he does, and he sees an Ethiopian guy in his chariot. And God takes Philip from a ministry that's happening in Samaria to this desert road to see one guy to share about Jesus. He gets baptized and then boom, he's gone just like that. Or Peter. He's praying one day. He's kind of hungry. And as he's praying, he, he hears that a guys some guys are going to come and they're going to take him to someone's house. And they do. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house and shares the gospel and all of them get saved just like that. God has loved us, he's chosen us, and he's empowered us to be faithful evangelists. To our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members, the people we work with, the person at the gas station, the person that checks us out at the grocery store if we get a chance. You ever, you ever go on the freeway? Like just, let's just say you're heading north on seventy-five. And you look over to the southbound lanes and there's a big traffic congestion and traffic is backing up for miles. And, you know, you're very compassionate and your first thought is, I'm glad I'm not going south. You know, I do that too. And, but as you drive farther north, you see people coming down south and they're going pretty fast. And you think, oh, if you just knew what was ahead. If you just knew what was ahead. The thing is, we know what's ahead. And people are passing us every day that are on the road to hell. And Paul says, you've been loved, you've been chosen, and you've been been empowered to share that good news. You know, I've had people tell me, I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends are. They don't know what hell is. if If they think that. Honestly, no one wants to go to hell. But they don't know how to get where they're wanting to go. Last Friday, I said, we were up in Ohio for a family reunion. Um, I had bought the tickets, the plane. We flew up into, flew into Akron, Canton. I bought the tickets like three months earlier. You know, Thursday morning, I get a beep on my phone that says, hey, it's time to check in for your flight. So I check in, print off our boarding passes. I look at the boarding passes and in bold print, it says Tampa, Florida. Okay. So I tell Connie, okay, our flight's at 640 and my wife says, the older I get, the the earlier I want to get to the airport. No, I just want to get there on time, okay? I just just want to get there on time. Anybody can identify with that? I found out that I think in every marriage, there are two people. There are people that are real casual about what time we get to the airport, and there are people that are right, okay? (laughs) There's two people, yeah. And so I said, okay, sweetheart, we need to leave at 10 till 4, you know, because I want to be at the airport about 10 to 5. I want to be able to park. I want to be in the terminal at 5 or a little after for our 640 flight. I want an hour and a half or so approximately. So she said, okay, we get on to, you know, 75, get 275, go to Tampa, pull into long-term parking, get out. I get the suitcase. I take it over. We get on the elevator, go up to the fourth floor, get on the train, you know, and go over to the main terminal, go down that real long escalator, <laughs> And get on the main floor. And I decided at that time it's good to get the boarding passes out. I get the boarding passes out and I look, and sure enough, right below where it said in bold print Tampa, Florida, it said St. Peter St. Pete Clearwater Airport. And I thought, why does it say Tampa, Florida? If it's St. Pete Clearwater Airport. I looked at Connie and I said, Sweetheart, we're at the wrong airport. Okay, now if you know me, I like to tell jokes. And my wife's response was what I should have expected. Yeah, right. (laughs) I said, no, sweetheart, we were at the wrong airport. We're supposed to be at St. Pete Clearwater. So we go back up the escalator, get back on the train, go over to long-term parking. I say, you stay here, I'll get the car, and I'll drive it down so I can run. I ran and got the car, I came over. I threw the suitcase in, we got in the car, and we started down across the Howard Franklin on 275 again. And I was assuming that the 65 mile an hour was a suggestion at that moment. And my wife was sitting in the front going, whoa, oh, 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 watch it. Look, oh, and I'm like, sweetheart, I said, "Um, as nice as I could at that time, I'm already stressed. (laughs) And that's not helping at all. She said, yeah, but we'll really be late if you get stopped by a cop. I said, I'm just going with traffic. Actually, I was making traffic and they were following me, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we get to St. Pete, we go inside and there's like four, P, four rows going back and forth to check in. And it's, it's 20 till uh, six and our flight's in an hour. I said, it's going to take us a half hour in line. So I walked up where it said priority boarding. And there was one person there and, and they got out of the way they were done. And I said, uh, excuse me, ma'am. I said, I made a really bad mistake this morning. I said, I went to Tampa by accident. I said, I don't have priority boarding, but could I pay extra to get it this morning? And she said, uh, oh, you're on the 640 flight? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll check you in. So she checked us in. We went through security, got in, sat down. And as soon as we sat down, they came over the <coughs> uh, boarding for Akron-Kenton. We'll begin in five minutes. And I was, <sighs> and I looked at my wife and she's laughing at me. And she said, see, we don't need to get to the airport near as early as you think. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the last lesson I want out of this. The reason I say that is, I was at an airport that had planes leaving to go to other destinations. It looked right, but it wasn't. A lot of people think their life is okay. And they think they're going where they want to go. But in the end, they won't reach where they want to be unless they have a change in their destination. And Paul says, you've been loved, you've been chosen, you've been empowered. Why? Because I want you to be faithful witnesses. I want you to share your lo- uh, my love with other people. And then the last point, point four again. We simplify our life. In verse, the second part of verse nine, it says, they, will, they tell how you turn from God to idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom we raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Paul says you need to simplify your life. My daughter Amanda, or I should say our daughter Amanda, is a minimalist. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's somebody that doesn't like to keep things. I'm I am a sentimental person. And my wife says, just because you have something doesn't mean you have to display it. And I tell her, everything that's in my office at church is there because it has meaning to me. Because, you know, I mean, who else would still have the keychain that their dad gave them when they were 10 years old, when they're 60, you know? I I keep stuff. You know, my my daughter tells me, and I've heard this so many times, and now my wife says it. Just take a picture of it and keep the picture. Well, I got to keep the picture, so I might as well keep the thing, right, you know? Um... Paul says to the people there, you got rid of idols to serve the living God. We need to simplify our lives and get rid of everything that doesn't help or that doesn't, isn't necessary anymore. You know, if if we're honest, we have so many things we don't need. And we're involved with so many things that don't matter. I uh, through somebody getting towed at a raised spring training game. I ended up meeting a guy that works for the Rays named Dukes. And through that, I got to, um, oh, yeah, Dukes. You guys know Dukes. Oh, he's awesome, isn't he? He's a, he's a yeah, he's a teacher on Friday mornings. That's right. Dukes is a great guy. Through Dukes, he found out I spoke Spanish. I became the, the volunteer chaplain for the Rays rookie team down in Port Charlotte. And during spring training, I get to go to the spring. I couldn't this year because of COVID. But I used to, I get to go to the spring training and, and be involved in chapels. The first chapel I did for a Rays game, I was about right here, and there was the front row. And Kevin Kiermeyer was sitting here, and right beside him was Joey Wendell. And I was like, you know, I was just so nervous. You know, I was afraid I was going to say something. But, but this last, and, and for about a year and a half, I did it for the Orioles team as well, the Orioles uh, rookie team, the Spanish-speaking uh, chaplaincy. And then they got somebody to take my place because they said you don't need to do two of them. Well, this last week, I got a call from uh, from Luke, who is the major league chaplain for the Rays. And he said, the guy that was doing the Orioles, is just not working out. Would do you know anybody or would you consider doing the Orioles again? Do you have enough time, you know, to do a Bible study once a week with the Orioles players? And I told him, I will make time because I love doing that. I said, I will get rid of something that I don't need to do so I can free up an hour so I can be with these guys once a week. It's an hour once a week that they get to pour into these guys' lives. And they're from the majority are from the Dominican. And um, that's what God's calling us to do because I believe the return of Jesus is closer than it's ever been, which is just obvious. It's got to be. And as we're waiting, because Paul says you got rid of idols to serve God and to wait for his return. And while we're waiting, that doesn't mean we're just like, whoa, we're kicking back. We're enjoying life. You know, I'm not saying we don't enjoy life. What I'm saying is we got to be involved with what God says is important. And what's important? Like what Loving Hands is doing. Helping people come out of darkness to come to know Jesus. Because we've been loved, chosen, and empowered. You know, the Old Testament had 600, as best as they can tell, 613 laws. Jesus simplified him to two. Love God, love others. And then later he simplified it to one. Love others the way I love you. We need, to de- uh, we need to simplify and declutter our lives and be about what God's called us to do. And the way we serve God is we don't actually serve him because he doesn't need anything. We serve God by serving others. We love God by loving others and we wait for his return. You know, before before the Reformation, um, pastors or priests or leaders in the church were elevated really high. And they were almost looked at as God. I remember uh, many of you probably remember when Pope, uh, was it Pope John Paul that was shot in the assassination attempt? I can still remember the headline in the paper. It said, it was almost like they shot God because of the way they elevated people. The Reformation comes along, and the Anabaptists said, uh, no, that's not the way it is. The pastor in the church is just another brother who's got a different gift. And we talked about the brotherhood of the believers. We talked about the community of faith. We talked about all us being a family. But unfortunately, the church has gone back, I think, To where it was just before the Reformation. And people say things like, Well, that's the pastor's job. That's what we pay him for. That's the preacher's job. I just I invite people to church and he leads them to the Lord. Well, that's not what God expects. God didn't choose you to warm the bench. God chose you to get in the game. God chose you to be an active participant in his kingdom. God told you, I want you to do work and labor and have hope. Why? Because you're loved, you're chosen, and you're empowered to do that. You didn't get to see that video clip, I'm so, uh, but I was going to tell you now is the time to take your warm-up off. And I don't want you to feel bad. I mean, I, I didn't give you, uh, give you much time. Now's the time to get your warm-up off. Now's the time to say, Lord, no more on the bench for me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play the game. I think there's a song like that. Are you ready? Not to play the game. Not to play a part. But are you ready to be the man or woman that God's called you to be in these times? You know, I I believe in literal six days of creation. I believe that we're about 6,000 years old in this earth. And you could have been born at any time during those 6,000 years. But God chose to have you be born right now to be alive at this time. Because just like Esther, we're here for such a time as this. And God is saying to each one of us, get in the game. I've got so much for you to do. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you've called us to be your people. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you've chosen us because you love us and you've empowered us. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us will understand that each one of us would realize it's up to us to do what you've called us to do because nobody else will. And Father, I pray that we would have a desire to be your people and to do what you've called us to do. And I thank you for for um, Sean and Ryan and, and, the, and the congregation here. I ask a blessing on them. I ask, Lord, that you would use them in a mighty way in your kingdom and that we would see many people come to know Jesus because of their influence. Especially, I, I pray a blessing on them as they minister to the families at the school next door. Lord, use them in a mighty way and may their outreach event be awesome. And may it uh, bring people to Jesus. And I pray for loving hands, Father, that you would continue to use them. And I just thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.